Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're starting a new mini-series today. This title of the series is at the top of your notes. It's Jesus Invites Us Into a Life of Personal Ministry. And it's going to be based on Luke 5, 1 through 11. The title of today's message is Jesus Pursues the Disinterested. Church planting can be tough. It's easy when you plant a church to get in survival mode so that you're no longer proactive in partnering with the Spirit of God to create a certain culture, a certain type of community, to becoming reactive, where you're simply putting out fires, or you're setting up systems to oversee the church, or you're trying to keep up with all the the crises that might be happening in a church. And that is the work of a pastor. That is the work of ministry. And that is a privilege to be a part of those things. And sometimes you can lose the focus of cultivating and crafting a community that God has put in your heart for His glory and for His purposes. Terry Geiger, I took a church planting class with Um, with him and he used to talk about he said in the first century when he planted a church a group of people would lay their hands on you and pray for you and they would say two things as they sent you out into the world the first thing they would say is we're sending you out to unseat Caesar and to put the proper king the right king on the throne Jesus and the second thing they would say is and we have no resources The church of Jesus Christ grew in the first century explosively because the Spirit of God was at the center of it. And because Jesus told the apostles, I am with you always to the very end. I will build my church. I'll be with you to the end. Those are the two promises that we rested on from the very beginning of Southside. And I want to, if you didn't pick up this document, um, there's a document that goes along with the bulletin this morning. At the top it says gospel plus safety plus time. If you didn't pick that up, I would encourage you at the end of this service to grab one of those. And what it is, is something more than a mission and vision statement. Because the church is more than an organization. The church is an organism. And what I mean by it being an organism is it's organic, it's alive. And at the heart and the soul of Southside is the Spirit of God who cannot be contained in a a couple pithy phrases or sentences. So what you have in front of you, if you're able to grab this sheet, is the heart and the soul of Southside Community Church. February was a time for me I was able to just focus on um, the time that I would typically be 
uh, spending preparing a teaching, I was able to focus that time on reminding myself and remembering what Jesus had in mind, what he put in me, what he put in my wife, what he put in Pastor Al when we first planted this church. Pat Murray says, if you want to see someone in real pain, find someone who knows who they are and defaults on it on a regular basis. And the church can do that. The church can start out as something and become something else and default on her original intention. So this document is the heart and the soul of why we planted Southside. At the very top, it says gospel plus safety plus time. It's a fantastic little equation that a man much smarter than me, Ray Ortland, came up with. And he wrote a he wrote an article about this in the Gospel Coalition, and I'm just going to read through the three paragraphs that describe those three phrases at the bottom of the sheet. You can follow along if you have it. Gospel is good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit, multiple exposures, constant immersion, wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible. That's the gospel. And we want this church to be saturated in the gospel. What has Jesus done for us? What is Jesus doing for you? What will Jesus do for you? Constant immersion in Christ, in the gospel. And then safety, a non-accusing environment, no, no embarrassing anyone, no cornering anyone, no shaming, but respect and sympathy and listening and understanding so that people can exhale and open up and unburden their souls. A church environment where no one is seeking, for no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear. Wherever you are on the spectrum of your search for truth in Christ, you're safe. That was the goal. That was the intention. That was the heart and the soul. And then time. No pressure, not even self-imposed pressure. The Spirit does not yield to effort. And sometimes we, we make these enthusiastic, burdensome spiritual goals. Like, I'm going to read through the Bible three times in three months. <laughs> That's an extreme exaggeration. But what we're learning is the Spirit does not yield to effort. He yields to faith. And there's a rest that comes with faith when you walk at the pace of the Spirit. That does the truly transformative work where you're no longer exalting you and how great you are and how much you're changing and how much you can minister to others. You're actually exalting the living Christ because His peace, His strength is coming through you. You're not coercing people. You're inviting them into a deeper walk with Christ. Not even self-imposed pressure, no deadlines on growth, urgency, but not hurry, because no one changes quickly. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. God is patient. You know, the fruit of the Spirit grows very, very slowly, in the same way that the fruit of an apple tree grows very, very slowly. It doesn't just show up on the tree overnight. It happens slowly. And he ends with, this is why our Churches must, this is what our churches must be. Gentle environments of gospel plus safety plus time. It's where we're finally free to grow. And we'll be getting more into this chart. You can read that on your own. Um, 
that will be unpacked more and more and we will be measuring everything we do against this document. We'll be analyzing the things that we do and how fruitful are they and moving us towards this heart and soul of Southside. The member neighbor guide is still very much at the heart and center of what we do. It just needed to be filled out a little bit more. So Pastor Al and I are reading through a book that talks about five phases of leading people into a life of personal ministry, which is the next thing that I want to draw your attention to on this worksheet. Key emphasis, equipping everyone for personal ministry. This is huge and something that we desired and wanted from the very beginning, but it's really, really difficult to do that. To actually help people learn how to minister to others in a sophisticated, God-honoring, spirit-empowered way where we're learning how to follow Jesus together. That is not easy to do. It's easier to build a church where there's a few voices that are amplified. But that's a dangerous thing. Everybody wants a microphone. It's a dangerous thing to set someone on a stage that's a couple feet higher than everybody else, amplify his voice and say, don't be prideful. <laughs> the better thing is to be a church where this is seen as a regathering time where we're re-strengthened, we're reminded of the vision together on Sunday morning, and we're empowered here to take the gospel, to take truth, to take the kingdom into the world around us. And that is very difficult to do. And that takes, that's not measured in weeks, that's not measured in months, that's measured in years. And so it's hard work. But that's what we're about, and that's what we're going to be about. And Al and I are studying how to do it because I'm not sure either of us know how to do it. But we will learn, and we will be a church that equips you for personal ministry. Imagine 150 voices saying the same thing about Jesus to each other and to the world around us instead of one or two or three voices. Imagine a church where you are all exercising regularly these spiritual discipline or these spiritual disciplines, yeah, but also spiritual gifts that God has given you. Where you're a little bit more impactful in ministry in particular areas and you're using that in the life of the church. It's really hard to do that. Every church wants to do that. It's difficult work. And it's dangerous. And you're going to have some loose cannons. And that's part of it. Jesus dealt with that too. The disciples dealt with that too. But we want to free you for the work of personal ministry because we don't want to be a place that controls. We want to be a place that empowers and releases. Because I think when we get to the tendency of controlling, which is my natural tendency, it quenches the work of the Spirit. And so I have to work against my natural tendency to make sure that we are becoming that church where everyone is speaking healing words in Christ to everyone else. So, we're going to start by having this series on Luke 5, 1 through 11, Jesus inviting us into a life of personal ministry. We're going to sit here for a few weeks, and you can turn in your scriptures if you would like to, to Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read all of it, but I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 3 today. 
But we'll read all of it just so you have the context. And this is Jesus' call to Peter to a life of ministry. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night (laughs) and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Our focus today is going to be on verses 1 through 3, and there's a few things I want you to notice in this passage. So if you like to fill in the blanks and follow along, you can do that. If you just like to listen, you can do that as well. But here's your first fill in the blanks. Jesus' teaching ministry on earth was a major priority, and people were hungry for it. Jesus' teaching ministry on earth was a major priority, and people were hungry for it. You see, in verse 1, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. The prophets had been silent for 400 years. They were waiting to hear something from God. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene, and people, everyone comes out to be baptized or to hear John John's teachings, and he has disciples, and some of his disciples become disciples of Jesus because John sees Jesus and points to him and said, actually, he's the one. And so everyone's listening to Jesus. They're hungry to hear from God, and Jesus is speaking with a new type of authority that's different than the other prophets. And they were lapping it up. They were hungry to hear from God, and that is our primary work. Our primary work in personal ministry, our primary work as Christians is not to speak first, but to hear first. Our primary work as disciples and disciplers is to listen and to learn to recognize Jesus' voice through Scripture. And then only speak out of that overflow. I can think back over the years of countless times where I have given people terrible advice. I've given people terrible counsel because I told them what I thought. I told them my idea of what what they should do. Instead of learning to hear the voice of Jesus, learning to recognize the voice of Jesus, 
and to speak what he says to people. I, I don't want just anyone's input or advice into my life anymore. I just don't. I want people who are pursuing Christ and a life of listening to him so that what they say is actually like God speaking through them instead of just their off-the-cuff advice. I'm bad at giving advice as it is anyways. There's a, when we first planted Southside, there was a, a sweet, wonderful uh, pastor in town, uh, Pastor Cedric Beckles, and a lot of our young adults that were coming into Southside New Cedric had been discipled by him, had been mentored and coached by him, and he's brilliant at this. He's really, really good at that. Unfortunately, he's, he's not in town anymore, but he was an amazing guy. And they, so I would go on walks with some of the young adults when we would first plant in that first year, and they would, and they stopped doing this, you'll hear why. They, they would give me like this whole situation of what's happening in their lives, and like just break it down. I could tell they had thought a lot about it. So they kind of downloaded all these things into my mind. And then they would say, what do you think I should do? And I was like, oh, man, I'm really bad at this. I, I, I'm not, honestly, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know what to say. I could make something up. And then they would say, well, I talked to Cedric about it. And he said I should do this. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I, I need to talk to Cedric. That's incredible. That's really, really good. I would, if I had three days to think about it, I'd probably come up with that. I'm slower on the uptake anyways. But you have to hear from God. And you have to know at what pace you hear from God. And at what pace you can speak being faithful and true to what God is saying. And so it's not just your words. We speak the words of God to one another. So what I'm learning now is to listen to God as I'm listening to others. Because like these people crowding around Jesus, they want to hear from God, not me. The foundation of personal ministry is having loving conversations where we are intently listening to one another and speaking to one another in love. The very words of God. I think sometimes Christians come into a conversation with their guns loaded. They're really excited for you to hear from them. And so without even really asking any questions, the first movement of love is listening. The first movement of pride is wanting to be heard. And what we need to do, if listening well, having loving conversations, is at the center of Christ-centered love and ministry, we need to learn to listen in three ways. First, we need to learn to listen wholeheartedly and intently to the person who's speaking. Not rush past what they're saying just so you can say what you've been wanting to say. But listen and ask questions and think and reflect and look at them and pay attention and give them your whole self as you're, as you're listening. And then you're listening at a layer just beneath that to your own internal wisdom, the experiences that God has given you the things that you're learning about God, the things that you've learned from your own experiences, and then the layer underneath that, which is the hardest to get to, which but is the most important, is listening to the Spirit in that conversation. Because the Spirit might bring up a passage, a concept, a principle, something you've learned in Scripture, something you've learned about God, that is exactly and precisely what they need to hear. And that's the type of ministry that's at the heart of personal ministry. 
And so the first thing we need to do is learn to recognize the voice of Jesus in Scripture, and all of Scripture is useful for this, all of it. But if you're looking for a place to start, the New Testament letters are really good because they give case studies. There's all sorts of different situations that happened in different churches, and Paul addresses them speaking on God's behalf. And so these case studies are a nice concrete way to begin learning. Oh, Paul said this in Galatians. I'll try that. And you begin to recognize what godly wisdom sounds like. When we do that, when we speak the words of God with delicate precision into a conversation, it has the potential to change that person's life. Not every conversation has to change someone's life. Not every conversation will change someone's life. But every conversation has the potential to change someone's life. Hearing before speaking. The primary work of a Christian is to do exactly what the crowd was doing, pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. Two, next fill in the blank. The fishermen didn't seem particularly interested in hearing Jesus' teaching. They weren't particularly interested. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So there's a huge crowd pressing in around Jesus. They want to hear his word. They're hungry for his word. They're lapping it up. They're following him everywhere he goes. They're literally pushing him around. They're crowding in on him, which is why he had to go out in the lake in the boat. They want to hear everything he's saying. They're hanging on every word. And then there's these guys off on the side washing their nets who aren't all that interested. You know, Peter just came off of, Simon Peter just came off a third shift, and he didn't accomplish anything. He worked all night and didn't get any work done, didn't catch any fish, and he still had to wash the stupid nets. He was probably frustrated. He was probably exhausted. He was probably cold. He was probably tired. He probably wanted to go home, have a warm meal, sleep, and then get up and do the whole thing all over again. He wasn't particularly interested in hearing from Jesus. He was busy, and he was tired, and he was preoccupied, and he was worn out. And I think sometimes we get like that too. We can get so caught up in the tedious, monotonous work of the day or so caught up in the busy grind of our work, or so caught up in academics and extracurricular activity, that the voice that spoke the universe into creation doesn't seem all that interesting to us. And that's not a commentary on how interesting Jesus is. It's a commentary on how dull our hearing is. Simon Peter just didn't really have the time or interest to hear about spiritual matters. What would you have done if you were Jesus? I mean, you have, these, you have this crowd that's pressing in on you that is hungry. I mean, they're taking notes. They're following everything that you, everywhere you go. They're listening to everything that you say. They want it. They want you. They want to hear from you. They're motivated. They're compelled. They're leaving things behind. 
And over on the side, on the fringe, are some fishermen who don't really seem like they care that much. What would you do? Number three, even though the net washers weren't all that interested in Jesus, Jesus was interested in them. Verse three, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Friends, you may have lost interest in Jesus, but Jesus hasn't lost interest in you. And you may know people who have lost interest in Jesus or who've never had interest in Jesus, but Jesus hasn't lost interest in them. There's a lesson in here for all of us. Jesus had people all around him who were attentive, people who were listening. Any one of them would have made for a better ministry intern than the one he chose to go to. He went to the person who Luke portrays as being indifferent. We disqualify people before Jesus does. We give up on people before Jesus does. We stop praying for people before Jesus does. There's a, I don't even remember the quote, there's an old quote, I think the guy that used to be head of compassion used to say, he said, it's the kids that the world tries to break the most are the, that are the ones that grow up and change it. Jesus loves looking for disinterested, broken people. And he cares for the crowd too, we'll get to that. But notice who approached who, and that's the most important part. Jesus approached Simon. Jesus initiated. Scripture's not the story of humanity's search for God. <laughs> Scripture's the story of God's search for humanity. Scripture's the story of humanity rebelling and God walking through the garden saying, where are you? This is worth saying again, I've said it before. It's um, Eugene Peterson when he died. His son spoke at his funeral. And he said, my dad fooled all of you. He preached the same sermon every Sunday for 30 years. And he preached it to me every day when I was a little kid. Every night he'd whispered into my ears the same sermon that he taught you. Every night before I went to bed when I was a kid, God loves you, he's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Jesus was surrounded by a group of people who were interested, and he looked right through them, still cared for them, still spoke to them, still fed them, still ministered to them, but he looked through them. He wasn't satisfied. He found the one that wasn't interested, and he went after his heart. Ours is a God who leaves the 99 to pursue the one. So the question for all of us and for you right now is where are you in this scene? Maybe you're in the crowd. And if you're in the crowd, you don't get less of Jesus when he goes after another individual. He still cares for you. You're still part of his family. You've always been a part of his family. It's like the prodigal son. He said to the older son, everything I have is yours. Why would you get upset for me welcoming your, your younger brother back? To be a part of the crowd is not less. It's amazing. 
the goal of him going after the others is so that they become part of the family, part of the crowd. You're not less cared for by Jesus when he goes after the, the wandering sheep. To be part of the crowd is a beautiful thing. But maybe you're not in the crowd. Maybe you're like Simon Peter. You're off on the side washing nets. You're preoccupied. You're hurt. You're disinterested. And the Spirit of God wants to restore, restore and heal your soul. He sees you. It's a funny thing, tracing the spiritual life of this disinterested person, Simon Peter, because for three years, he, after Jesus pursued him, he had all sorts of fits and starts. He was a mess. I mean, there's sometimes we look at Simon Peter in the Gospels, and we're like, man, that guy is so bold. I wish I had that type of courage. And then we look at him a little bit later, like the next page, and we're like, he is such a coward. <laughs> Sometimes we look at Simon Peter and we're like, man, he gets it. He was the first one to fall on his face in front of Jesus, the first one to jump out of the boat at the end when he saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. We really feel like he gets it. And there's other times Jesus calls him Satan. His life was fits and starts, even after Jesus pursued him. He was a mess, but Jesus was there for all of it. There were times that Jesus said about the disciples, how long must I stay with you guys? <laughs> but he never left. Personal ministry is the pursuit of other people's heart for Jesus, but it begins with Jesus pursuing our hearts. He initiates first, always. Now, this book that Pastor Al and I are reading, there's a, there's a little phrase in it called divine meditation. It's a phrase that um, the Puritans used to use. And it is slowly walking through a passage, reading it over and over and over. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he would disciple a group of young men, he would give them one verse to read for a week, and he would say, spend an hour with just that verse. And he was known for discipling people who had a deep, profound understanding of God and Scripture. Divine meditation is asking God to speak to you and slowly reading the passage. And I want to invite you to do that, each of you to do that tomorrow morning. I want you to take Luke chapter five, verses one through 11, and I want you to ask God to bring things to mind that he wants to bring to mind, to bring people to pray for to mind that he wants to bring to mind, to bring things to do that he wants to bring to mind. And just read this slowly a couple times and see what the spirit does don't rush don't hurry through it don't effort through it just read it relax spirit doesn't yield to effort and make some notes and see if god wants you to do something with it and we'll keep talking about that music team you want to come on come on up and i'm going to pray us out Well, Father, we have some, we have work to do. 
because we want to become a type of church where everyone is being equipped for personal ministry. And I don't want to skip any steps with that. I think the first thing is that, as Al and I are reading this book, one of the most essential things is after we become clear about what we're about as a church is me and Kara and Al and Mel and Bree and Titch, the shepherd team, the kids workers, the people that you have entrusted to care for this flock, the management team that's going to be launching. The first thing it seems to me is that we have to search our own hearts. And if we're not living this personally, then we can't lead a church into that type of life. So I pray that you would show us the hospitality night leaders, people in discipleship pods, show us where we need more gospel, where we need more safety around us, where we need more time. Show us where we're not committed to loving the people around us in the world. Show us where we're not hearing from you in order to speak to others. Show us how we're not showing up on Sunday morning prepared so that this becomes, like this book says, a theater of discipleship, a theater of personal ministry. Where are we falling falling short? Where are we not doing that? Where have we become self-focused? Where are we no longer friendly? Where are we no longer engaging with people? Change our hearts. How can we love people better? And then out of that, Lord, as we begin to think about what does a plan look like to unleash this community of believers into the world as workers, learners, and disciplers of others, what does it look like for us to do that? None of this is gonna be possible apart from your spirit, apart from your help, apart from your guidance from your power so we're open to you to use us show us our hearts show us where we need to repent show us where we need to trust in you more deeply show us where we need to take concrete steps of faith and it's for your sake and your strong name we pray these things amen Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.